This week on The Vergecast, Alex Kranz and I talk about a ton of gadgets. We have Russell Brandom on to talk about a bunch of policy news, including what the president said about Facebook. And, of course, we talk about billionaires in space with Liz Lopato and Joey Roulette. All that's coming up right now on The Vergecast. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Greetings, mobile accomplishers. Welcome to The Vergecast. I am your friend, Dieter Bone. You may notice from me introing the show that uh, Neelai is on vacation, but we're not going to miss him because we have Alex Krantz here. Yes, I am I am here in the office with you, yeah. looking at you right we're now. We're in the same room. It is wild. Uh, and we also, I hear, are going to have one more guest. Yeah, that's me. That's my, that's my music. Our, our new guest is in a, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to characterize that. Hey, Russell, how are you doing? <laughs> it's like a lake of cough syrup. It's like you're wading through a lake of cough syrup. I felt very mellow. That is a very, very chill walk-on song, Russell Brandon. There you go. I have a very strict good vibes only policy, and I find the music really helps enforce it. That is amazing. Well, later on, we're also going to have Liz Lopato and Joy Roulette to talk about billionaires in space. <laughs> Which is great, uh, but we always start the show by talking about COVID, and I actually don't have a ton of updates here. There are, of course, some cases happening at the Olympics in Japan, and there's a lot going on there. There's a, there's a lot of drama going on there. Um, but we also have a bunch more to talk about with uh, vaccines and their effectiveness and who is actually getting COVID cases. The answer is the unvaccinated, and that turns out to be a super contentious issue, which is why we have Russell Brandom here, because uh, the president— basically accused Facebook of murder? What, what happened? Yeah. So at the very, very beginning of the week, we got this sort of message from the Surgeon General that was very, it wasn't super remarkable, but it did mention technology platforms, which sets up the later Biden stuff. So, I mean, he was saying, like, here's what school educators can do. Here's what research institutions can do. Mm -hmm. Here's all this stuff. And it was all like very nice sort of nudgy recommendations. It was a message from the Surgeon General saying, look, like misinformation is actually a problem. Medically speaking, please stop it. Please figure out how to fix it. Yeah. And here's like our sense of what would be helpful to stop it. And and a lot of it, I will say, is stuff that platforms have generally already been doing, right? If you go to YouTube, you see the sort of little COVID dash bar that is like 
sensible people saying sensible things about about covid they've had that for a, for a minute now and it, so it was suggesting stuff like that but then it kept coming up and they're like well what do you think and they're like well there's sort of more misinformation on these platforms than we really want and by they i mean like the press secretary the surgeon general did a press conference um so biden's leaving the white house to go to camp david and these reporters come up to him and ask so what do you have what's your message to facebook about vaccine misinformation and biden says they're killing people (laughs) and he says sort of you know we only have a it's only this new wave among the unvaccinated and they're killing people and so who is they yeah well they did just ask him about facebook Mm -hmm. but then we get into this whole thing of how carefully will he, was he choosing his words? He's getting on in years. Well, and it's not like Biden is, has, a, has a history of speaking precisely Ever. in his entire right. life. <laughs> so even at the time, it was like in our post, The Hill did a great job getting video up and we embedded their tweet. And we were like, look, you can see the whole exchange. We're not trying to hide anything like that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they like immediately walked it back. And he was like, no, no, I mean, like the misinformation is killing people and we want Facebook to do a better job of restraining it. Yep. But Facebook, as you can imagine, is like super sensitive to this stuff. And then another White House person sort of said, well, we need to sort of have consequences if they don't rein it in. And now we've gotten to the point where, you know, as we're recording this this afternoon, two Democratic lawmakers introduced this bill to sort of have the Secretary of Health and Human Services would have the option to strip 230 protections from tech platforms that are not, they're being irresponsible with vaccine misinformation. I need to stop you right there for two reasons. Reason number one, if you get walk-on music, we also need to have audio stingers every time Section 230 gets mentioned. We used to have a Section 230 song, which is amazing. We could play that again. We won't do that. But just in the back of your mind, just imagine like a thunderbolt sound, like just every time 230 comes up for the first time. So I saw some tweets about this. Can you explain why the idea that stripping Section 230 protections has nothing to do with information, like with misinformation? Why is that incoherent? Okay. Basically, Section 230, you know, we sort of know it as the law that keeps Facebook from getting sued. But essentially, it's focused on things that are illegal. So there is some core crime. The classic lawsuit, which like Facebook has been sued by this for for this dozens of times, is, you know, Mm -hmm. this person from this terrorist group was on Facebook. And then my cousin was a victim of this terrorist attack and the terrorist was using Twitter before the attack happened, and I'm going to sue Facebook for damages for for sort of aiding and abetting terrorism. And this is the sort of lawsuit that Section 230 says, no, like they they don't have liability for the fact that this guy said this thing on Twitter, right? But the key thing is that it's there is this crime. And the question is just whether Facebook is liable for the crime. Right. Misinformation isn't a crime, right? Right. So you could strip the 230 immunity from Facebook for these particular sort of issue, like, you know, okay, in this case, Facebook can no longer appeal to Section 230. Right, but right, what right. is the lawsuit going to be? There, the, Facebook has not actually, no law has been broken. Right. There actually has to be a crime in order for them to go after 
Facebook for allowing the crime on their platform. Right. And also, like, what is the claim of what Facebook should have done differently if there's no place where they say, "Okay, look, like a crime was taking place. You were sort of there. You don't want to be an accessory. Yeah. It's your obligation to try to make sure, like, your equipment isn't used for illegal purposes. That doesn't really apply if it's just this legal thing. And then also, I mean, right. we must point out, okay, problem solved. We're going to outlaw vaccine misinformation. That's going to be a pretty big First Amendment issue. So uh, this is one of right. those cases where people blame Section 230 for something that is really coming from the First Amendment. That pesky First Amendment. I know. It's very tough. Every time. Every it's time. just every time. We've been talking about Facebook, so I must disclose that my wife works for Facebook Reality Labs, a.k.a. Oculus, which is a division of Facebook. That disclosure is especially important because on this very podcast feed, there was an interview with Mark Zuckerberg by our uh, former colleague Casey Newton about the metaverse. Yes. Um, you should listen to that. But I'm bringing it up because, uh, of course, he had to ask Zuckerberg about this thing that Biden said. Yeah. Can we, what do you tell me, like, what happened there? It was sort of a Judge Dredd metaphor where he's like, no one is out there trying to solve crime, which is obviously false because Judge Dredd is out there trying to solve crime. Like, like he's like, <laughs> you would never eradicate all the crime in a city. And Facebook's like that. There's always going to be some bad thing, which like, by the way, we're all in New York now. If like the police commissioner got in front of a room full of reporters and was like, look, we're never going to so we're never going to fix all the crime. <laughs> Like that's factually true, but it's not a reassuring thing to hear from. Like you don't, yeah, you don't say that. That's not a great thing to say. Well, my thing is like if if you're trying to find some uh, a comparison for yourself that people feel good about right now, I don't know if I'd go with the cops. Yeah, yeah, I would probably <laughs> skip that one. Yeah. Okay, so these bills are happening. When we see bills get you know introduced, especially about two thirty, some of them are just like. We know they're going nowhere. They're just there for show or they're there to try and move the conversation or score some points for the senator. I'm talking about Josh Hawley. <laughs> what about what, the, the stuff that just like happened today? Will it actually happen? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say so far the reaction we've seen has been pretty chilly. I, I don't think that, you, you know, a lot of times you, you put something like this out there. It's an idea. You want to see what the response is. And if there's good response, you sort of move forward with it. I don't think they got the response they were hoping for. There's a real question of like a year from now, it, which is mm -hmm. how long it's going to take to do any of this stuff, because Congress has a lot on its plate. Is this still going to be the biggest problem we have with Facebook? Right. Because right. if it's not, if a year from now we're arguing about privacy or we're arguing about sort of you name it, right? There's there's 10 different things. I mean, a year from now we'll be, com we'll be coming up on another round of elections right. pretty soon. And that's going to change. It'll be an entirely different conversation, maybe. Well, and this bill only addresses like a specific kind of misinformation, right? Like it's not all misinformation on Facebook. It's just COVID related. So it, they don't mention COVID. They sort of say misinformation in relation to an ongoing health emergency. But it's like, yeah, like, what could they be referring to? <laughs> but it is like they wouldn't have to write another law for, like, the next catastrophic pandemic, I guess. Yeah. But it is pretty specific. It's not great to, like... I guess, say what people can and cannot post on Facebook. Yeah. I feel like that's still Facebook's job. And I think, I mean, part of the weird thing for me has been like, okay, so 
everyone should get vaccinated. The vaccines are safe and effective. I was telling this to an Uber driver the other day where I was like 90 percent. There are a lot of people sort of pushing back against the vaccines for whatever reason. And some of them are doing it on like the most popular cable news channel in America. Right. Like, but I think there's a free speech norm of like if Joe Biden got in front of a bunch of reporters and was like, Tucker Carlson is killing people. We would understand this to be like, even if, we're, even you know, I'm not actually disagreeing with that claim, but it would be a little over the line. It would be like a weird use of the sort of power of the of the presidential podium. Right. And I think we're not there with Facebook yet, even though I don't know, like, that is what's happening. They're protected by the First Amendment in this situation. And like, even if you wish that they wouldn't say these things, you can't just sort of get up there and go after them. But because Facebook's so unpopular and I think because it's sort of it feels like and there's all this tech regulation up in the air. So they see this as a place to sort of apply pressure. Right. That's kind of where the conversation went. Well, OK, to sort of wrap this up, the the, the big question is. Is this, you know, the White House is finding several ways to apply pressure. There were even leaks that they, they had a frosty relationship with Facebook that like kind of preceded all of this. Is this just a, a little bit of a pressure campaign, but it sort of isn't going anywhere? Or do you think that this is the start of like a big thing that is separate from the tech regulation we're about to maybe talk about? I don't think any policy changes are going to come out of it. I do think this is a sign of like Facebook is now a political football and it's just going to get punted every time like one team needs to score points. No, wait, that's not. <laughs> I love that this is a great no, no, the punt doesn't. It's they're going to get field goal kicked. Um, but anyway, it's, it's their kickboxing. It's bad bag. for. Yeah, it's bad news for Facebook. It's sort of the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the other thing that the White House did not too long ago, we talked about it, is uh they put out a big executive order with multiple parts. We talked about this on the Verge cast. And one of them uh, was Joe Biden instructed the FTC to do whatever they could to ensure, uh, you know, the right to repair. And this was specifically talking about, like, I mean, tractor. He mentioned tractors, I believe. Right. Did he mention farm equipment? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah. He mentioned farm equipment. Yeah. I know you talked about farm equipment a lot. Yeah, I, I love show. to talk about it. But <laughs> but I'm I'm like. 90% confident that he mentioned it, and I yeah. didn't just insert it in myself. But my understanding is it's an executive order. He didn't actually like spe- specify do this thing. He just encouraged the you know hit the agency he's in charge of to do something, and now they are? Well, so they did something. They issued this policy statement. In some ways, what they did was like the FTC is now instructing the FTC to do something. <laughs> it's a little weird. This is how my writing process works, by the way. I instruct myself <laughs> yeah. to write, and then I instruct myself to write again, and then eventually it happens. It's just like the outline gets more and more developed until yeah, yeah, the yeah, outline yeah. is the piece. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. So we're one step closer. It is meaningful progress. It shows the FTC is taking it seriously. I will say, like, there's a real world in which this was just farm equipment, right? Like, the the... We saw this a bit in the campaign where people would say right to repair and then they would say, well, no, we really just mean tractors because they didn't want to pick a fight with Apple. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's not what happened here. So the FTC basically said we're going to keep a big eye on any incursions of consumers right to repair and sort of use their existing authority against unfair or deceptive conduct by businesses. Mm -hmm. 
to sort of prosecute those. So everyone's kind of on notice. Right. And the next step will be actually, you know, prosecuting someone, whether it's are they going to make the case that like Apple having special keys that shut out third party repair shops are like, is that anti-competitive conduct? Like, right. They've sort of set it up to happen. I don't know if I would. I don't know what the odds are that, that that's like immediately coming, but this is definitely a step in that direction. And will this come in the form of like a lawsuit or somebody else sues and the FTC is like, yeah, pay attention to that or the FTC sues or are they just going to issue a policy letter? No, no, it would. This would be like FTC versus Apple in federal court. Would right. be, I mean, or, or some other company that's that's limiting right to repair. I mean, right. car companies have had a lot of issues with this. John Deere, the tractors is is sort of the other like there are a lot of sort of lower profile. And I mean, this is the other thing is if you were going to start somewhere like prosecuting a right to repair case, maybe you work up to the Apple case, like go after some, some little guys first just to get your uh, strength up. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I don't know. That's a strategy question. Like it, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Okay, there's one more thing I definitely want to – well, there's a, there's a lot of things I want to talk about in the policy space. But uh, let's talk about uh, this nomination of Jonathan Cantor to lead the Department of Justice's antitrust division because everyone was like, oh, my God, this is a huge deal. And then no one really fully explained why. So I'm wondering if, if you can you can help us out with that. Yeah. Well, so Lena Khan is the other one. I mean there have been a yeah. couple of appointments that, that all the antitrust people were like, OK, this is what we wanted. We're getting what we wanted. Yep. You know, Tim Wu is at the National Economic Council. Lena Khan is chairing the FTC and, and sort of directly in charge of a lot of the right to repair stuff we're talking about. Jonathan Cantor is sort of like the third one of those. And he's taking over the the sort of antitrust division of the Department of Justice at mm-hmm. a time when we have – all of these federal antitrust cases against Google. And he has sort of been outspoken in taking on private clients against Google. I will say, looking into this, one of the things that pops up is in 2016, he wrote in the New York Times like op-ed column about why we shouldn't let Google take over set-top boxes. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, man, this is... This guy's gonna gonna fit right in with the other folks we're covering. <laughs> Actually, can we... I, Somebody tweeted at me that uh, other than on the Verge cast, they had never heard of RSS, Real Simple Syndication, and now it's just being taught in like junior college science classes in college. And one, uh, thank you for letting me know that we are educating the children, uh, Patrick Walker. Two, as long as we're giving history lessons, Google taking over set-top boxes was a genuine fear in 2016. I know it sounds ridiculous, but the cable companies lined up to make sure that that didn't happen because they were terrified that Google was going to do to the television advertising industry what they did to the online industry. And they didn't at all. (laughs) You can thank Jonathan Cantor for leading the charge on that one. Yeah, I feel like we can thank Google's engineers for failing. (laughs) I think they're the real winners here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it is tricky because, like, the sense one gets is that he's been involved in the background of a lot of fights that, like, if you weren't watching the trial and seeing, oh, that's the guy, then it would never really come up. That, oh, it's he's impressive. But, you know, he just fundamentally is one of the lawyers specifically who is at the head of the progressive antitrust push. Right. And is now basically in charge of America's biggest antitrust case. Right. Like (laughs) US v. Google, like we haven't tracked it a ton just because what happened is 
they filed it, uh, you mm-hmm. know, under Trump and then just immediately went heads down into like two years of discovery. And so right. at some point they'll come back out of it. But like nothing has happened. It's just been going through like enormous sort of Tupperware boxes full of documents. But yeah. it's hands down the most important antitrust case in the federal government right now. Like there's no okay. contest. And this is the guy that all the antitrust people wanted sort of on the wall. And right. now he's on the wall. Amazing. It's wild. I want to extend the Game of Thrones reference, but I'm going to let it go. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 one more big appointment we're waiting on because we're, we're still short a regulator on the F, FCC. FCC commissioner. Yeah, FCC commissioner. Yes, we don't have the commissioner, much less like a full slate of, of people sitting on it. Everything's just in limbo over there. There are a lot of things that you could do with a Democratic majority in the FCC. I mean, for one, you just off the bat restore the Tom Wheeler net neutrality order. Like that is probably going to happen at some point. It's one of these things. Everything's trying to cram through the door at once. So it's right, like, right. <laughs> we're only six or seven months into to sort of the Biden administration. So, I mean, yeah. it's happening fast, but not that fast. Right. Last thing, we have to mention that DISH just gave AT&T $5 billion so that they could provide, they could be an NVNO on AT&T's network because T-Mobile isn't cutting it for them, which is the thing that T-Mobile promised to do, which is what gave them permission to buy Sprint, and it has already failed. Yeah. I mean, this is the classic thing is the promises they make before the merger yeah. are just not <laughs> worth anything. And everybody knew it. Yeah. Like we weren't no, this is not a surprise to anybody. The only surprise is that AT&T actually has enough bandwidth to give to Dish. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Well, Russell, uh when uh when you get uh, nominated to the FCC, we'll probably have you back on. Very excited. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I'll be the first FCC commissioner with walk-on music. That's what I'm going to bring to the commission. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back with Liz and Joey to talk about billionaires in space. Support for The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. 
If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right, we are back, and we have with us Liz Lopato and Joey Roulette. Hey, you two. Hey. Hey, welcome to Billionaires, Billionaires in Space. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't it be Billionaires in Space? Oh, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should just be silence. <laughs> Uh, okay, so obviously Jeff Bezos and some other folks, uh, including Wally Funk, went into space, dot, dot, dot. Let's just give us the, the setup here. And then, Joey, I definitely want to talk to you because you were there. I don't know how close there means, but you were you were in the vicinity. So let's start with what happened. So I just want to, like, start with the petty stuff because <laughs> this is what happens when you invite me on The Verge cast. So Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin is like, yo, we're going to send a billionaire to space and it's going to be Jeff and he's also going to bring his brother and some other people. Great. And then Richard Branson's like, I'm going to go to space, too, and I'm going to go sooner. And then Blue Origin was like, you're not really going to space because you're not going far enough up. And then there was some, like, goofy fighting on Twitter. Yeah. Anyway, we've recovered both of our billionaires. They're both back on Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. But most recently was the Blue Origin flight, which I think Blue Origin has bigger ambitions than Virgin Galactic. And maybe, Joey, you can you can tell us a little more about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Blue Origins is like one of many different programs that they have, right? I mean, they have their whole New Glenn rocket program, too, which is designed to go orbital. And, and whereas Virgin Galactic's space plane is, you know, just in, in the suborbital uh, realm, so, I mean, what Blue Origin is trying to prove with New Glenn or New Shepard isn't just, you know, that they have this space tourism business, but it's, you know, part of a bigger architecture that they, they want to tell everybody that it's reliable and everything. And, and they really need to do that, right? Because, you know, they haven't really won a lot of contracts. They haven't, you know, won the Air Force contract that they, you know, once kind of sued over. Um, and they lost again to SpaceX on the lunar lander uh, competition, too. So they're trying to really prove a lot with with new Shepard um, and their, you know, their space tourism goals. So it goes a little deeper for them. And to the space tourism thing. So obviously, Jeff Bezos brought his brother, which is cute. His his official name is Jeff Bezos's brother. But I think I think <laughs> Jeff calls him Mark. Yeah, that might be his name. I, I have to confirm that. But uh, the thing that I uh, I find myself very curious about was how the other two seats were decided. And because the other two seats were the oldest and the youngest people to go to space, respectively. But that was not originally the plan. So we should hear a little more about who these passengers are, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we have 
Oliver Damon, and I think this is like the most interesting, weirdest, most questionable story of the whole, whole mission. Um, <laughs> he wasn't originally supposed to go on this flight. He was supposed to go on the next one, but he was bumped up to this one because the winner of this massive auction that Blue Origin, Origin hosted the month prior opted not to go because of scheduling issues. He bid $28 million, but there was a scheduling issue that, you know, prevented him from going. Uh, and I put heavy quotations on that. So <laughs> Liz, you, you think you, we had funny conversations about that. <laughs> I don't know who's too busy to go to space. Like, right. no, I can't reschedule. I, I just, I, I have to, I have to be on earth for this. Sorry. <laughs> also, what kind of person that can spend that much money can't make people reschedule around them. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll say like, Rocket scheduling is the hardest thing ever, and, and it's hard to to manage that, but I agree. I mean, like, why... Yeah, it, it was weird. I mean, Blue Origin really wanted this date, too. It was July 20th, which is the anniversary for, you know, the first time the uh, the man stepped on the moon. Um, and, and so that was mm-hmm. a significant... It was part of the whole optics that they were trying to, to nail. So maybe that played in, but that, you know, again, is is assuming that the scheduling issue was you know, exactly what happened. You know, we, they're, they're, they weren't, uh, they were declining to specify what kind of issues they were talking about. So, yeah. So the only thing that didn't make this whole launch feel like a disgusting display of, of wealth and ego was that they brought along Wally Funk to me. Can you talk a little bit about her? Yeah. A lot of people were excited about Wally Funk and it was, you know, it, it really is a cool story because she was, uh, one of the Mercury 13 astronauts, which was this informal, group of um, women who were trying to become NASA astronauts. They were training. They went through the training process. Wally Funk performed better than her male counterparts, but she was denied and she wasn't able to go to space because NASA didn't want to have women astronauts at the time. So that that sucks. And and she kind of then went on to become this kind of, you know, icon advocating for women in space and kind of fighting the system that was preventing women from getting there. And you know, the whole move here is that she finally went to space and Blue Origin invited her and it was this kind of justice, you know, and it was a great, great moment for Wally Funk. She's 82. She also became the oldest person to go to space. Um, but it was a it was a good story, you know, like Wally Funk finally met the the final frontier that she's been working for. So that was that was kind of cool. A lot of people loved that story. <laughs> I got to be real. I kind of think that Jeff Bezos invited her specifically because he didn't want people to root for his rocket to to like blow up because because then you're blowing up this like feminist icon. That didn't really work that well, though. Everybody, everybody yeah. still still was talking about that. And, and some people pointed out, like, how could you like wish that when, you know, Wally Funk is on board? But but yeah, the, the discourse remained. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about what actually happened, because I was a little bit shocked by how brief this trip was. Speaking of someone who's taken a fun ride on the vomit comet, where unfortunately nobody threw up, like I've I've been in zero G, it's super fun, but this was not like a lot longer than the vomit comet trip I was on. So Joey, like what exactly happened? How high did they go? Like what were the logistics of this flight? Yeah, so it all lasted like, you know, only 10 minutes. And a lot of people were shocked by that. My mom was like, oh, they're they're already back when I was telling her the story. And I'm like, yeah, it was just a, a quick trip. But it lifted off uh, early in the morning from this remote, you know, launch pad that Blue Origin has in, in West Texas. 
it soared like uh, 66 miles high. Uh, the that's beyond the line that they call that they consider space, and a lot of other spacefaring nations believe is space, um, which is you know 62 miles. And at that point, once it got to that height, um, the the crew capsule separated from the rocket. The rocket came down for a vertical landing, just like you know SpaceX's Falcon 9 rockets, and the capsule floated a little bit in in microgravity for you know about four minutes. And you know everybody unbuckled from their seats and floated around. Uh, Jeff Bezos was like, "Who wants Skittles?" He apparently had Skittles on him, and he he tossed one into Oliver's mouth. Yeah, they had activities. They had Skittles, and they had um, like ping pong balls or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of this one scene in Children of Men where they were tossing around. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but yeah, 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 they're yeah, tossing yeah. around like a ball. Like it was a fun experiment. Um, but yeah, in that they were kind of just having a having a good time. Wally Funk was was like, "Ah, oh, look at that! Like this is crazy," you know. And then they buckled back in and then returned under a soft parachute landing. So it was a quick little trip. And you, Joey, like you were physically there in Texas. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about like what the run up to the launch was like and, and what happened after everybody got back. Yeah. So it was it was pretty interesting. Blue Origin trucked all the reporters out at like 2.30 a.m. to this press hangar. Uh, it was very nicely designed. There were nice couches. It looked like a, an Ikea set kind of. And there was great Wi-Fi, <laughs> but, but yeah, and, and so for launch, everybody rushed outside to see it in person. And, uh, we were maybe like five miles from, from liftoff and there were a bunch of, uh, Blue Origin executives out there too. And, you know, everybody was applauding and clapping and some were crying when it lifted off successfully. Um, and the most like jarring moment of the whole thing was when the new Shepard capsule was returning for a landing and there were the sonic booms. Mm which is this loud cannon like noise that just pummels your chest. Um, and it was just deeply, deeply like loud and echoed throughout the whole like region. Um, and that was really, you know, interesting to see in person. Um, it scared the shit out of everybody because <laughs> nobody was <laughs> expecting it. You know, you never know when it's going to happen. It, right. it, you know, it's, it's inevitable, but, but yeah, you don't, you don't know exactly when. So that was interesting. And then uh, afterwards, you know, they, they brought us to the, the landing pad to check things out. There was also a press conference, quote, press conference that, that happened afterwards. Um, it was more of a an award ceremony, but <laughs> yeah. Did it feel genuine and authentic there on the ground? Because I have been increasingly struck by something Liz has been talking about a while. It's just the, the sort of choreography and optics of their live streams. SpaceX treats it like it's basically NASA. Virgin Galactic like just leaned all the way into infomercial like super hard. And then I found like Blue Origin was kind of somewhere in the middle. It had this infomercial moment at the very end of the live stream where they'd done all the stuff. They pretended to be NASA. And at the very end, they're like, if you want to go to space, send us an email. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, did it feel like like a genuine, exciting space moment or did it feel like pretty, I don't know, like as manufactured as the live stream kind of does? You know, personally, I think it felt pretty genuine, but I think that's because I was there in person and for a lot of people for Blue Origin's audience, they weren't there in person. They were watching the live stream. And what you saw on the live stream was a lot of advertising, you know, kind of like Virgin Galactic. And, you know, they're, they organize these, these events and they cater these whole experiences for their potential customers. And, and Blue Origin kind of tried to do that too, because space tourism is extremely dependent on that kind of stuff. It's an early kind of business and they really need to, to generate that kind of excitement. Mm -hmm. But with, yeah, with Blue Origin, I mean, 
all the astronauts were wearing these like Omega watches that Omega was marketing and, and talking about. And it was funny because it was on the outside of their astronaut sleeves, which <laughs> no one ever does. No one, no, you don't do that unless no. you're being paid to no. do that. They put it on Wally Funk too, which oh people, God. some people were disappointed. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. And then Blue Origin had their fleet of, uh, Rivian trucks, yep. um, which Sean, I think our, our colleague Sean had a story on and, and I saw those in person. That wasn't something exclusive to the, to the live stream. They were, they were everywhere. There was maybe like five of them. And there was this little barbecue that they did where, uh, they used the, the pullout grills from those Rivian trucks to cook food for the guests and, and everyone. So there were a lot of marketing opportunities and it was a, it was an important part you know, role for, for Blue Origin. So some of the people I talked to, they were genuinely, you know, impressed and happy that this all happened. And it was a huge moment for them. But the overall goal is to sell seats, right? And so you have to market into some that's a little not very genuine. <laughs> the trip to space is limited. So please reserve your seat now by calling 1-800-BLUE-ORIGIN. And then we'll make you sign an NDA to tell you what it costs to fly on it. <laughs> and you can make yeah. that payment in four easy payments of redacted. <laughs> right. And that's that's the other thing like that I kind of, you know, was was a little uh was focusing on a lot because Blue Origin hasn't announced how much it costs to fly one of these things. Right now, for Virgin Galactic, we know that it's around 200000 to 250000 but that's expected to go up. Um, we just don't know exactly how much, but Blue Origin hasn't said anything. They haven't given us a ballpark or, or anything about it. Um, and when they hosted their, their press conference slash award ceremony for the passengers, you know, they, they didn't speak to that at all, and they only allowed three questions from press, so, so no one was really able to ask about it. Um, I went, when Blue Origin took us out to the landing pad, Jeff Bezos made a surprise appearance for a photo op and, uh, someone asked him about seat prices. Um, and he just kind of laughed and did not, uh, answer at all. Um, and then I was able to shout, you know, a question like, Hey, you know, Jeff, what does it cost to fly one of these things? And he finally said, um, we'll be announcing that later. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, well, how later? And he, and he said, we don't know quite yet. Uh, and he said they're really focused on the private pricing. And, and so it's, yeah, so the, it doesn't sound like they're really trying to to let anybody know publicly what uh, what those prices are. But Jeff Bezos did make it clear that the public was participating uh, in his little <laughs> his little post launch speech mm-hmm. where he uh, he said, I also I want to thank. Every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer, because you guys paid for all of this. So seriously, for every Amazon customer out there and every Amazon employee, thank you from the bottom of my heart very much. You're welcome, Jeff. From the bottom of my heart. <laughs> uh, Bezos has been like obsessed with space since at least high school. He was the valedictorian at his high school, and he gave the speech about creating permanent human colonies aboard space stations so the Earth could be a nature preserve. So, you know, it was a little astonishing to me to hear him say pretty point blank is that like <laughs> Amazon was means to an end. So thanks to all of you for for getting me to space. I'm surprised you didn't thank the people who gave him tax breaks, but whatever. That's true. I think I've heard that the expanse, the Amazon Prime show that's in space is like was like he definitely wanted them to make that show. That was a, a passion thing for him. But we should talk about the 
you know, because Blue Origin is for tourism. There's the other stuff for him to try and move heavy industry to space. Blue Origin is trucking along, I guess. Like, they, they managed to do it. Um, but it's as far as, like, moving, like, heavier stuff to space or, like, being, like, other customers, you know, big space customers, not just tourism, I have no idea where they're at. They, he showed off, like, the Blue Moon lander or whatever, but... I can't tell if any of that stuff is actually happening or if it's like it's Blue Origin and a bunch of hand waving. It's Blue Origin and, and a, I mean, in a bunch of hand waving. They they need to get to orbit. You know, they they have yet to launch anything into orbit. New Glenn is what will get them there, but they haven't rolled that thing out to the to the launch pad yet. Um, so the whole story about moving heavy industry into space—that's kind of the the cover story. That's the PR you know thing that they that they want to say. Every company has that. And Blue Origin definitely has a long ways to go. I mean, they've launched this new Shepard rocket several times. Like this is this was their 16th launch for that. Um, but that doesn't that's suborbital. You know, it's and it's a little easier to do. It's a it's a hard feat, of course. Um, but but getting into orbit is a whole other animal. So when they do that, then they can start building. You know, the the infrastructure to do what Jeff says he wants to do. I want to talk for a second about the response to all of this also, because I've been covering space, you know, for a while, and I have never seen any response so negative to a space flight and like from quarters I wasn't expecting. So I'm just going to read you a tweet from Dan Rather. Oh, no. Dan Rather? Dan Rather. I prefer watching the launches of independent bookstores. They're a lot more entertaining. And they actually occupy space. Oh, my God. (laughs) How long did he spend workshopping that one? (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, first of all, that that would be brutal coming from anybody. But like, I was genuinely shocked that it came from Dan Rather, of all people. Yeah. And there's been this sort of backlash to Bezos in space in particular, because it feels like he's dabbling. You know, like, whatever, SpaceX... There are a lot of people out there who don't like Elon Musk, which is fine. But you get the sense that SpaceX is serious, right? Like, they're actually working with NASA. They've won a bunch of contracts. Like, they're doing the thing. They're not talking about moving industry to space, although they are talking about Mars colonization, which is also crazy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, they, they're, they're, they're doing the thing. They've been sending missions to the ISS for years. Um, they're about to launch uh, people to the ISS soon. So I guess one of the things that I'm really curious about, Joey, is like, why is there such a different response to Blue Origin and to Bezos? You know, Bezos doesn't really have that cult following that Elon Musk does. And I think a lot of the support for SpaceX that we see comes from, you know, Elon Musk's cult following. And, and, you know, people love watching SpaceX do these crazy things, you know, launching humans to the ISS, um, you know, in, I I don't know, I think, I just think the identity of Elon Musk plays a huge role in it, you know, which involves Tesla and and all of his other ventures and his uh, crazy ideas. Um, Whereas Jeff, you know, people just aren't, I guess, aren't as excited about it. Um, And I think, you know, Amazon also has a lot of controversy, right? I, I don't cover Amazon and I'm not as, you know, familiar with it, but I think that also kind of plays a huge role. A lot of the criticism that people had of Tuesday's launch kind of spoke to that, you know, about you know his how he manages Amazon. Um, so that might hurt him a little bit too. But 
you know, as far as people and, and how they care about billionaires going to space, people just tend to gravitate closer to Elon Musk because that's just his his cult, I guess, you know. But but also it's it's the fact that SpaceX, yeah, like you said, Liz, they they are doing a lot more than Blue Origin. You know, they revived NASA's human spaceflight capabilities with the first launch of NASA astronauts uh, in 2020 um, in, you know, over a decade or, or nearly a decade. So that is kind of a good narrative and a, and a you know, favorable story for SpaceX that makes them look almost heroic <laughs> in a way. I will say that whatever the issues surrounding this launch, just watching the rocket touch down vertically I, I tweeted this, like, it will never not be cool to watch a rock, rocket just come back down and touch down vertically and land. It has, like, it, huge alien, like, invasion vibes almost. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, it's yeah, that's exciting for people. Like, it, it's, it, it's funny. When SpaceX landed their first booster successfully, Jeff Bezos, uh, you know, quipped to, to Elon Musk, welcome to the club, because <laughs> they had been doing that with New Shepard uh, before Falcon 9 was able to successfully do it. Right. Um, but you got to say, you know, the two rockets are different. Falcon 9 is an orbital-grade booster, whereas New Shepard is suborbital. Um, but, but yeah, it, it is a pretty cool, badass thing to do, right? Like, it's this rocket that blasts off, which is cool in itself, and then it comes back for a landing, you know, blasting, firing its engine again, and then gradually slowing down to the pad and just kind of plopping right there, and you know, after it deploys its legs. So, it is. It, it's weird. And it all happens autonomously. No one's steering this, and that's another crazy thing because you're looking at this robot do it by itself. <laughs> so you know, it is. It is a pretty fascinating thing. I don't think that'll ever get old for me. So here's the money question for me, and this is this is open to both of you. If money were not an issue, if you if you had the money for it, would you take a flight with one of these companies? And if so, which one? I would be conflicted, but if I mean, if I had that much money, I, I would it would completely change my personality. I would be an even bigger monster than I am now, and so of course I would do it. Um, and I would I would do it with SpaceX because it goes the highest. <laughs> I would go with SpaceX too because it goes the highest. But let me let me inform your rationale real quick. SpaceX's Crew Dragon, uh, their their tourism architecture as they currently have it, goes high, but for three days. So you're going to be stuck in this this capsule for mm. for three days, right? Um, whereas these suborbital flights are far shorter, 10 minutes, you, you're, you're in microgravity for about four minutes on both, uh, Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin systems. Um, and Boeing hasn't really announced its tourism plans with Starliner yet, but, um, on Crew Dragon, yeah, you got to think about how long you want to be trapped inside of a little capsule, um, for three days. I mean, is the view, these the stunning views of earth going to get old after the, the first 24 hours? Are you going to have to go to the bathroom in front of people and, and mm-hmm. you kind of have to tell people not to look and, and will that will that smell bad and then will everybody get pissed off for the rest of the trip and then there's fights and <laughs> you know I mean there's things there's cycle there's a lot of psychological factors you have to consider when your tourist mission is three whole days long you know especially yeah. if you're going with people you don't really know that well <laughs> man like like day two, you're like bored and like imagine paying that much money to go to space and like eh, let's just watch some Netflix. Right. 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 Because it would come to that. I'm I'm curious yeah, I, I can't wait to see how that plays out. And I think this is something that engineers are asking themselves too. You know, is is this the right kind of service that we want to offer uh where we want to take people 
into space for three days. Is it, and we're going to see this play out um, in September or sometime in the fall. That's when SpaceX is going to try to launch their first space tourist. So that'll be a big step for SpaceX, but it'll also be a pretty big test to see how these people actually liked going into space, into this little gumdrop for three whole days. Um, so, and, and I don't know if they'll, they'll stream it live. They probably won't stream it live the whole time. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to ask them questions when they get back on land. I also would take SpaceX because send me around the fucking moon, man. Like, send me around the moon. <laughs> <laughs> look, if Boeing gets its shit together, I would happily take Boeing. But right now, it does not look like it has its shit together. And that just leaves me with SpaceX because, again, like, send me around the moon. Like, if you're going to send me the space, send me all the way. You know, like, I don't want to argue about, like, what really constitutes space and how high up it is. I want to, like, be able to see the planet, like that famous shot of, like, the Earth from the moon. That makes me want to say, one of the things that Wally Funk said during the little post-mission event, um, she, she has colorful, like, very amazing ways to describe her, her experience. But one thing she said was that she got high up and she saw darkness when she was in the capsule, um, but she didn't see the whole world like she expected. So she, so she kind of suggested she was a little disappointed at that, which was interesting. You know, I mean, everybody else was giving really amazing reviews in, in, during the event, but Wally Funk was, was real. <laughs> she, and she said, you know, I, I wanted to see the whole earth, but I didn't quite see it. Uh, but it was still fun, you know? <laughs> so. well, shout out to Wally Funk, a real one there. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So we know that SpaceX is going to do uh, its tourism thing in the fall. If it can, is there any other big rocket launches or blue origin stuff that we should be on the lookout for next? Um, well, SpaceX, uh, SpaceX is starship. They're trying to go orbital later this year. They're trying to do their first orbital Starship test launch. Everybody's thinking, as far as space tourism, everybody wants to see Elon Musk ride some SpaceX ship, right? Like, it's, it's his, his turn now that, you know, Branson did it, Bezos did it, what about Elon Musk? But he hasn't really said anything or expressed any pressing desire to, to go up there himself. Of course, until we have the capability to get to Mars, because, you know, then he'll be like, I'll, I'll die on Mars, just not on landing, which is something he actually said. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we'll see Musk, uh, you know, announce that he'll go next time. Well, this, is, uh, this has been another episode of Billionaires in Space. <laughs> Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
All right. We are back. We are no longer in space. Uh, but instead, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of gadget stuff to talk about. we got a lot of just random stuff, really cool stuff. And then RCS. Where, yeah. do want, where do you want to start? I mean, I think we need to start with RCS because I'm still trying to understand it. <sighs> so every time it's mentioned, I like to be like, Dieter, explain it. I mean, I'm going to – I was tempted – uh, that when, might be just the rest of the podcast. I mean, I was tempted when Neil was off to just like say, you know what? This is my podcast now. We're, <laughs> it's going to be RCS. Not just this episode, but all episodes. This is an yes. RCS podcast now. <laughs> so what happened was Verizon is the third U.S. carrier to formally adopt using Android messages by default on all of the Android phones it sells. Okay. And what that means is Android messages uses... RCS. RCS is Rich Communication Services. It is the next generation version of texting that replaces SMS mm -hmm. and it enables, you know, red receipts. Do you say red receipts or read receipts? Read. So do I. But everybody else says red and I'm wondering if maybe... They're all wrong. Or young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're all infants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, better images, better video, blah, 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 blah. It also allows for end-to-end um, -end encryption in one-on-one -on -one chats. Um, and that's actually an Android messages feature, not necessarily an RCS feature. Anyway, it's better, right? Um, but the rollout has been terrible because it's this, like, supposedly open thing where if a carrier wants to implement RCS and use their servers to manage it, they can. So it's all opt-in? Yeah, it's all opt-in. Okay. Or if they don't want to, they can license Google servers. And then eventually Google's like, look, if you're not going to do it, we'll just like turn it on for users without you. And so that's like a third way that people can get RCS now. If they just use Android messages, Google like says, hey, Carrier, do you use RCS? No? Okay, we're going to do it then. But Carrier's were shipping Android phones that would default to like Samsung Messages or Verizon Messages Plus, Ooh. everybody's favorite software. And so there was no guarantee that you would, even if you, you know, you, you'd get Android Messages. So Verizon's on board, everybody's on board, everybody that uses an Android phone in the U.S. starting next year Ooh. will have Android Messages for sure, and then RCS will become the default. Actually, RCS is being served by AT&T. Like, they say, we do RCS. And I'm like, no, you don't. Like, yeah, we do. I'm like, yeah, but I can't send an RCS message to somebody on T-Mobile. Well, you know, blah, 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 blah. So there's this whole argument about you have RCS, you support the universal profile, which is like the spec. And then even then, you don't necessarily interoperate. Um, this this happened with MMS back in the day. You used to, If you were on Sprint, you couldn't text somebody a picture if they weren't on Sprint. I had I never texted anyone it on was Sprint. Whole thing. So anyway. We will have a more critical mass of users. There's already, I don't know, 400 and something million worldwide. Add however many million Android users there are in the U.S. It's got to be like 150 or something, yeah. right? Um, eventually getting all on the system. Um, and, yeah, there's like a legit shot that RCS could actually supplant SMS, and very few people would use SMS ever again, except. Except who? Apple. Oh. <laughs> they have not said peep about uh, RCS. I have asked for comment. I have gotten like legit no comments and not just radio silence from them. Um, but in general, uh, just nothing, no word. And so it raises this interesting situation where if you are on an iPhone and you text somebody on Android, it falls back to SMS. And that is fundamentally insecure because it's totally unencrypted. It's sent over this completely wacky part of the way that, you know, SMS goes over the networks. It's basically data now, but it used to go over the special channel that existed for, like, configuring phones. Like, yeah. it, it was a whole mess. But that is what you'll be sending. 
Uh, and similarly, if you're on an Android phone and you text somebody who is on an iPhone, you're a green bubble, right? Right. And so by not supporting RCS, Apple is actually potentially like causing like a security problem for its users or privacy. It's, it's less private or less secure than yeah. people on Android that talk to each other or people on the iPhone that talk to each other on iMessage. But it's also like Google's also like sending in secure SMS too on Android if you talk to an iPhone. But the difference is Google's just like, hey, Apple, if you want to join up, here's the spec. You're welcome to do it. Yeah. They're, like they've been increasing, they've been turning up the pressure more and more. Like, so I tweeted that Apple, you, sh you should support RCS. And like Hiroshi Lockheimer, VP of Android and everything else, like retweeted me, which <laughs> I have to admit is very awkward. Just it's yeah. weird. But like that's how you're going to pressure Apple is you're going to, okay, whatever. Um, but, I interviewed him for the story, and this was this was his quote. Um, the fallback messaging experience on, quote, the other platform oh. uh, will not have encryption if it's still SMS. I think that is a pretty interesting dynamic. And I would hope that as everyone focuses on privacy and security, it becomes an important part of the discussion. Yeah, because, like, I, I guess Apple's thing is, well, we just want everybody to use iPhone, and, and we're secure, so right. it's fine. Yep. But that's not realistically how any of the world works. Right. Like, that's not going to happen. So it's, the onus is really on them to to make it secure. Right. And they're already kind of dealing with security stuff this week related uh, to messaging, right? Okay. Like, Actually, you want to explain this? The, this is this is the big, big uh, Pegasus hack that happened to a bunch of journalists. It's one of the biggest hacking stories of the week. I think you, maybe you might be able to explain it a little better than I can. Okay. So there's this, uh, there's this Israeli company that provides um, – software to that's supposed to help you hack into the phones of terrorists or whatever. Right. And um, Amnesty found a list of a bunch of phone numbers of like legit journalists and uh, people who are like in opposition parties in various countries around the world. And it was verified that their phones were infected with this spyware. Not great. Not great at all. Yeah. Um, Real bad. And, the, you know, how did this happen? What's what? How did they get, you know, infected? How, how did the hack happen? And it turns out that it happened via iMessage. There was a zero-day, you know, hack where mm -hmm. an iMessage would parse an image that got sent in without any user action or opening the message or whatever, and then the message could disappear, and that would invis invisibly hack your iPhone. I hate to bring that up in the context of, like, RCS because yeah. it's, like, it's a different thing. It's, it's, it's different, but it's also kind of showing that, like, Apple— Really, I mean, obviously they care about security. Yeah, they yeah. care about privacy. Like, like I think they've they've done a really good job with it for the most part. But but this this quest to be like this this weird hangup they have on iMessage is hurting them kind of over and over again. Yeah, it's hard for me to know because like you know, obviously people love it. If you're a green bubble, you're terrible. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, very popular I adore in the U.S. Um, there's also like if you want to securely and privately text somebody who doesn't have an iPhone. Uh, there's any number of ways you could do that, yeah. right? Just tell them to install Signal or WhatsApp or whatever. Right. Um, it's just not the default. It's not the thing that's happening in the Messages app. Yeah, it's it's requiring it's putting a lot of like work on you as the person. You have to say you have to like walk them through it. Mm -hmm. Just like you'd have to be like, well, actually, your Android phone isn't like doesn't communicate securely with mine. So I'm going to tell you how to get to the iPhone store and buy an iPhone to like fix it. Like, yeah. like it's just putting way too much work on people when that's the whole point of Apple is to take that work away. Right. If Apple's going to get pressured into doing it, I kind of feel like they're obstinate enough where, like, it's not secure and this this whole thing is just not going to – that's not going to work. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it's more likely that all the carriers around the world are basically just using RCS 
And it's like, well, why aren't you just doing this? So they'll do it. It'll do it later and then when it's not a big deal and there's not any heat on it or something. Yeah, it'll happen right? like a little little note during yeah. the w- WDC. We'll right. just see it at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah. And you will be like, yes. Right. And right. that will be the whole Vergecast. Oh, week. my God. It's going to be one of those, like, you know, they, they do the giant grids of features. Yeah. Oh, no, they do the at, at WWC. <laughs> they do the giant wall of yeah. features of like all the SDKs and blah, 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 blah. Right and there. And they use the a tiny text. And right there in the bottom, the smallest font possible, <laughs> they'll just put RCS. And I will like flip a table. If it's in person, I will stand up and run around. I'm so excited to not have to write about RCS when this is over. I'm excited for you. No, honestly. I want it to be done. I want it to be over. I want to not be the the person who's always. T- uh. <laughs> Guys, he's just like leaking it out of his chair right now. <laughs> Uh, can we okay let's move on let's talk about some fun stuff yeah like specifically the play date <sighs> okay it's, it's almost here tell me tell me what happened okay well so so we, we actually got to play with a play date yep the the pre-orders are starting next week mm-hmm. next nobody pre-order because there's only like 20,000 and I want a chance <laughs> so nobody try yeah I'm really excited about it so if, for people that don't remember what the play date is it's it's a it's a little it looks almost like a game boy it's mm-hmm. like half the size of a game boy and it's a yellow like game machine thing mm-hmm. it's got a black and white screen and the big thing is it's got a crank on the side right and I always thought that the crank was for like charging it <laughs> I was like that's so cool no it's for playing games yep that, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, no, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think both are cool. Yeah, yeah, make it happen. And it comes from Panic, which is a company they've done a lot of really cool games. Firewatch yep. is one of them. Uh, the the Goose game that everybody played. Yep. A couple of years ago, but they also were like originally a Mac company. Yeah, well, and, Mac apps, Mac app company. Yeah, um, they the, made the best FTP. Yeah. App. Transmit, right? right? Yeah, yeah, no, it was the best. I mean, transmit, but it was like, it was overpriced. So you might use CyberDuck because you're cheap, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So that was me. And but if you got once you got the money, then you got you, you got transmit. Like you, and you felt fancy. Yeah, it was like and, a Cadillac. Right, exactly. And it, the truck, the little truck icon that I, I had, love it. If if you know what RSS is, you know what transmit is. Yeah. Basically, what we're saying. Right, right. A lot of you are very confused right now. <laughs> it's okay, but but they're they're better known now for for their games. Right, and and so they've made this thing, and it's really fascinating to me. I was talking with Andrew Webster who who was the, he's our games editor and and he he got to play with this thing and he's been playing with it for a couple of weeks, month, over a month now. Yeah. And he's it's there's like four games on it. He still hasn't finished all of the games. Mm. So they actually take a while. Like some of them are story based. They take yeah. hours and hours of gameplay. And it's just like the the idea is you're they're going to do an episode like a flight yeah. of games and you'll get a flight a year of brand new games on this They're doing like seasons. So like every month or something, you'll get four more games and you don't know what they're going to be. And then you're like, oh, season four, you're getting these four games and you get to keep them. They don't go away. Yeah. But yeah. It's just, and it's just weird to me because they're going into like making this whole game system, right? Like it's a whole new console Mm -hmm. from a really small company. Yeah. Like, and like a really hip, cool company. Like one of the reasons people are so excited is like, you just heard us talk about a 35-year-old <laughs> FTP app. There's a lot of affinity for this company. Yeah. yeah. And and so I'm I'm fascinated by it. I have no idea how it's going to work out in the long run. Like mm-hmm. what's what's the the end game for this is is what I keep going to. Yep. Is this like they're going into hardware now? It took a long time for this thing to actually yeah. come out. Like years. I played around with a f- early early ass prototype of one of these things 2 years ago. Right. Um, at the XOXO conference, they had them like outside. It seemed great then, but I mean, you know, pandemic closing down, whatever. Um, I will say the screen is—that's my favorite part. It's of it, actually honestly. incredible. It's black and white, 
but it's, it's black and white. It's one bit. Like a Game yeah. Boy, mm-hmm. a Game Boy was two bits. Right. There's this no gray. Is, yeah. This is this is just black, white. And that's it. And it's fast. Like if yeah. you've seen black and white displays that are like, you know, not backlit, like LCD displays that are like like e-paper, like pebbles. Yeah. You could kind of have this vision of your head of being kind of like low contrast and kind of, this is not that at all. Yeah. It's not like e-ink. It's very fast and it's refresh rate. I mean, it's not like, I don't know, it's not 120 frames a second or whatever, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, it feels just like a normal screen, except that it doesn't have a backlight. So you use whatever ambient light is around to see it and it's black and white. Yeah. It's cool. It, it is cool. And like the games in it seem really, really cool. Like they got the the, the guy who, who made Katamari Damacy. Mm-hmm. I said that really, really wrong, but <laughs> just ruin that. All those years of Japanese down the toilet. But, you know, there, there's a lot of really, really cool, interesting games that have already been that, that like Andrew's been playing. and He's mm-hmm. had a lot of fun with them. And there are even more coming. And like what's are people just going to get really excited and, and develop games for it? Are we going to get like big game developers being like, yeah, this seems cool. And like just whipping out a game. Yeah, I, I hope like I think that's I think that's the plan. Like that's what it feels like is the end game. I, I think the interesting thing here is I don't know that there is an end game. I think they figured out that they want to make a cool thing. They're making a cool thing. If the cool thing continues to be cool, they'll continue to do it. Yeah. And if not, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, shrug, I there's guess? A, yeah, like we're only getting one season of games so far, right? Like, right. They, they could just be like, that was it. Thanks. Yep. And that's still like 26 games. Yeah. That's that's better and than like the Neo Geo pocket. Right. Well worth well worth your money, which is uh, $180. Right. The cool thing about the pre-order process is uh, the Cable Sasser, who's you know, running running Panic, said that, uh, quote, we're not going to close the door on you. Yeah. So um, who knows if their website will crash? I'm sure <laughs> it will. They've got a lot of experience with FTP, but, you know, who yeah, knows yeah, about yeah, running yeah. a website? <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but unlike all of the other consoles that are happening, it's not going to be just like a fiasco, like waiting to see if Walmart will get stock. And you're not going to have to join a Discord or a Twitch live yeah. stream and find out if, you know, you just, you're just going to put your name in, get in line, and you'll get it when you get it. Which that's is that's how, all I've wanted. How pre- pre-orders are supposed to work, in I my understanding? I like the Steam Deck was kind of like that. Yeah, okay, that's fair. My, my experience with the Steam Deck My experience like with the Steam Deck was my, um, my order never went through, and I gave up. And then five hours later, I got a confirmation email. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. I forgot about it. And five yeah. hours later, I went and pre-ordered yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But by that point, I'd found out that you could, like, change the hard drive in the cheapest one. I didn't know that. So, yeah, that came out later. And I was like, yes, so uh, I got, I'm going I'm to get the cheap one. garbage. I bought the expensive one because well, I wanted the fast. Okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, what do you think about the fact – Andrew actually brought this up. We've got the Switch OLED. We've got the Steam Deck. We have the Analog Pocket, which you know we haven't really talked about anything, but it's, it's am, this Game Boy thing that looks sick. I, that is the one I'm most pumped yeah, for. And we have uh, the Play Date. Yeah, like well, handheld is – you know, I think part of it is is there's a lot of people who are making these things now who are, grew up on the Game Boy, mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of nostalgia there to like just hold it in your hands yep. and not have it be a phone yeah because playing have you played mario on like a phone yeah the like you talk about the the the, the side scroller mario no 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 like like an emulator oh yeah yeah just the worst experience it's impossible and and you're like oh no i need buttons yeah and so I think there's a lot of nostalgia there, and that's part of what's driving it. Yeah, so I bought the Razer Kishi for both Android and iPhone. It's good. Yeah. Actually, there's um, I 
there's another one called Backbone that doesn't collapse as small. Okay. But it has way better buttons, and Ooh. so it turns your phone into a switch. You know. Yeah. Um, none of them will give you uh, swappable USB C and Lightning. You got to pick it when you buy it, which yep. is frustrating as hell. But yeah, if you can get good games, like having having the Switch style controller on either side of it that like clicks into the thing is really cool. Yeah. But I think you're right. Having it not be your phone is like part of the draw. Here. Yeah. That was that was like. I have a Pixel 3a, and I said, you know what? I'm going to make this my game machine. I'm going to okay. put, like, Stadia on it when I was having a Stadia moment mm-hmm. and, like, whatever. We've all, we've all gone through our Stadia phase. You know, GeForce. <laughs> all the, I was like, I'll put all the cloud things on here and, like, a Nintendo and an SES, SNES emulator and all of this. Yeah, yeah. And I played for, like, an hour because it was like, well, battery life mm-hmm. on a Pixel 3 is good, but, like, doesn't support that, and you can't, like, charge it. It just was like a gross experience. Yeah. And then I go to my Switch and I'm like, oh, this is how you're supposed to. Right. I still have this my hands way far out. Yeah. Because they're huge. But yeah, I like I'm ex- I, I think it's great that the that these are things are all coming back and it's just weird timing. I mean maybe it's like stuff is getting faster. Yeah. You see that with a Steam Deck, you know, the battery is is able to support it now. Yep. Five years ago completely impossible and yeah. just technology finally caught up. Maybe that's it? Well, and like it's 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 you know, we saw this like Kickstarter thing where it's like, oh, hardware is easy now, but no, we know we no, know it's... from Ashley Carmen that it's actually not. Uh, but there are a few companies that are like, well, actually if you take the time to do it well, it yeah. is possible to make a thing in a way that it wasn't, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, analog's a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like they figured it out, it takes a while. But you get you get nice stuff out of it. Yeah. I got the the super one. It's it's great. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum is Apple. There's a bunch of rumors. There are seems like every week there's rumors. The latest is um, there's going to be updated AirPods later this year. Which sure we've okay. been waiting for those. Um, I'll also, it. a new One iPhone day. SE refresh in 2022. That will be it'll definitely be due. Um, but the big news was Apple just up and released a battery pack. Yeah, you were busy earlier this week. I had a hell of a time getting one. Yeah. Uh, there was, like, shipping problems. I'm in New York this week, and, um, of course, you know, there's very few people in the office, and so, like, shipping is just confusing, and the FedEx people aren't delivering here as often, so I wrote the wrong floor number. And normally that's fine because, like, how much crap gets sent to Vox Media all the right. time back in the day? A lot. So they, oh, it's fine. We know where this goes. Yeah. But nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so I took an extra couple of days to get it. We went to, we sent Cameron Faulkner, one of our reviewers, over to buy one at the Apple store because he just was right next to it. So he picked one up for me and I paid him back for it. It was great. Um, as he was buying it, the person next to him was returning it. That was incredible. Amazing. Yes. The person who was returning it was returning it because it was too big. Right. <laughs> How? <sighs> Okay, it is big. It looks funny. Yeah. Here's the thing. I've reviewed it. It's uh, probably going to be up on the website by the time you are listening to this. Everyone is like, oh, God, it's so big. Oh, oh, horrible. And then everyone else is like, oh, God, it doesn't have enough battery life. It's The, the, the battery is too small. How horrible. And sometimes those are the same people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, they, they, they don't know a lot about how things are made, I guess. Yeah. People. I don't want to be like a, a defender of this thing. I mean um, – I gave it a seven. Okay. I think that if you have an iPhone, it is the most elegant battery solution Apple has ever made, and that might exist for the iPhone full stop. Um, You put it on. It charges. It shows you the battery level. It tops. It maxes out your charge at 90%. It won't charge your iPhone above that because it knows that that is too hard on the battery, so it'll just stop there. So smart. Uh, It works as a MagSafe charger. Just plug it in. And so instead of buying a $40 MagSafe puck, you buy a $100 battery. If you think of it as a MagSafe puck that happens to have a battery on it. That's a 
good deal. Well, almost. It makes sense. I wouldn't say it's a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> Look, when you're when you're getting really into the Apple ecosystem, a lot of things start. You start to rationalize a lot more right? things. Yeah, but. Everyone was like, you know, Anchor just released one of these things. Uh, it's, you know, a little puck that has a, like, it's not official MagSafe, but it has a magnets and it yeah. has wireless charging. And so I bought one, like a bunch of people did. And it's stupendous. It's 50 bucks. It has a 5,000 milliamp battery. We should, we're going to talk about milliamps in a minute. But it also has USB-C and it can, ch- it can do, um, it can charge via the USB-C, obviously, but it can also charge a device out of that same port. It goes both ways. Okay. Uh, which is smart and cool. Um, but, you know, the MagSafe battery, of course, uses lightning, which can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you can charge the MagSafe battery via the iPhone. So if, you, if you're like, oh, man, I need to charge my phone really fast, you can just unplug the MagSafe battery that you're using as your MagSafe puck, plug it into the phone, and then the phone will charge faster. But it will also reverse charge the MagSafe puck. But that's the only thing the iPhone will reverse wireless charge. Huh. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You know. All right. My AirPods just sitting there. It'll charge your AirPods. Okay. The, the MagSafe thing will charge your AirPods, but not your iPhone. Yeah. My, that's what I mean. Not my so phone, much. Yeah. I can't just put them together and make magic happen. No, I guess not. Rude. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, get Android and then, yeah. you know, be a green bubble. That's that's how that works. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to begrudge anybody this thing. Um, uh, if it, it's very, very elegant. But we should talk about the milliamp thing. Yeah, explain so, it to me. It's fourteen hundred and sixty milliamps, which is nothing. Right. Zero, it's basically nothing. But milliamps are actually not a great way to talk about battery size uh, and like battery power and longevity. It's not just like you never know how much the processor is going to draw and blah 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 blah. Um, it's also just the amount of energy that it outputs. There's there's a formula. Yeah. It's, it's electricity. <laughs> um, and so a better metric is watt hours. Okay. And so the thing about the MagSafe charger is it can charge at a higher voltage, mm-hmm. uh, which means that it can push through more electrons, charge faster in some cases. When it's plugged in, it charges at 15 watts, for example. Yeah. Um, it's five watts when you're um, when you're not plugged in. But that's it's like the same concept of like warp charge on OnePlus, where it's it just like it cranks up one of the numbers in the equation and then you can get charged faster through. So the the number that actually matters for this type of battery, since it has a different voltage than most things use, okay. is um, I want to say it's like 11.13 or something watt hours. Um, and the anchor, which has a lower voltage, is 18 watt hours. So it's this weird dynamic where the the MagSafe battery actually isn't as bad as its spec number might make you think. And Apple, of course, buries it because they love burying yeah. spec numbers. Um, but that doesn't mean that, like, it's equivalent. Um, and it doesn't even mean that, like, the eleven it's 11 versus 18, like, equivalent battery. Because I just got to tell you, this thing charged my iPhone 12 mini from 0 to 80, and that was all it could do. It just got tuckered? Yeah, just got a little, that was, that was a little sleepy. It. Yeah. That's not much. Did it at least do it quickly? Relatively, it was like two hours, give or take. Uh, but that was unplugged, right? Yeah. You know, it takes takes a minute because uh, it's slower. And they don't want if they, if they did it faster when it was unplugged, it would have depleted the battery faster. It probably would have mm-hmm. been effective. You know, there's reasons. Yeah, I, I'm, those reasons make sense to me. But yeah, you you need to think of this thing as it's not a life save. It's a lifesaver in the sense that it'll give you a little bit extra battery. You put the thing on there, and like you worry about it a little bit less. Your iPhone stays charged for longer, or whatever. Um, but it's not the like weekender battery, right? Yeah. Um, and as far as bring it your looking, cord with you. Still. Yeah, exactly. As far as it looking dopey, 
sorry, take take a battery that you don't think looks dopey and then try and tape it to the back of your phone and it looks dopey. <laughs> they all look dopey. Just admit it. Do you remember there was a battery a couple of years ago and it had like six or seven little suction cups on the back? Oh my god. And you would just <laughs> stick your 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 phone that needed to be wirelessly charged. No, I don't want to hear about this anymore. It was incredible. <laughs> it worked for 2 weeks. It's sitting uh, in my desk at home, yeah. hopefully not on fire. Anyway, that's the thing. Uh, I, I prefer the Anchor, uh, but uh, since I had to buy a bunch of them, I'm going to hang on to one of the MagSafes just to have it around. And there you go. Should we talk about the OnePlus Buds Pro? Yeah, I mean, there, speaking of Apple, <laughs> <laughs> like, these look familiar. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument that like they they I mean, they look exactly like AirPods Pro, except yeah. the case opens like horizontally instead of at the top. And there's there's more silver. There's silver on the yeah. stems. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, beautiful touch. The argument is like there's only so many ways to make an earbud, but like I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of like Bose does these giant satellites. Yeah, yeah. Jabber just jams into your ears. And this is just an AirPod right. or AirPod Pro, excuse me. It's smaller stems, shorter yeah. stems. Yeah. Uh, I mean, isn't it OnePlus that had a bunch of their headphones seized by U.S. Customs because they <laughs> thought they were counterfeit? And they're like, no, no, they're they're not. They're not. And what, U.S. Customs like, they, they look like it to us. <laughs> was it these headphones? No, it was, okay, it was, it was a different was one. the standard OnePlus Buds okay. that, that look like regular AirPods. So so this is, this is just like Our reiterating on success yeah. for them. Uh, as long as we're talking about OnePlus, I mean, there's also uh, the Nord 2. John reviewed it. You should definitely go look at it. Um, I don't know if we've discussed uh, OnePlus merging, not merging, admitting, <laughs> going back <laughs> to being part of Oppo. Yeah. We kind of talked about it weeks ago, I weeks think. Weeks ago. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I remember talking about my Oppo Blu-ray player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It's just settled in for me. that like yeah. they, they admitted that like they're going to merge Oppo OS or Oxygen OS with Color OS. Like those things are going to come together. And I like... I actually feel like a kind of a sense of calm about it. That, yeah. Uh, everybody just sort of can talk openly about the thing that we would talk about before openly. We weren't afraid of it, but it was like frustrating that like, you know, Pontiac is different than Chevy. It definitely is, but it's definitely not. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the same. Yeah. I guess the last thing before we round out is uh, Amazon had a um, developer event for. Uh, yeah, they, they had this Alexa. event for, for all for all of the. The developers, um, mm-hmm. a lot of things happened there. We got a lot of news. And a big part of it is, like, developers are going to actually have access to the the screen on oh, really? the actual show. Yeah, yeah. So they'll finally, like, be able to kind of mess with it and tweak with it. Do something. Yeah, do something yeah. besides whatever Amazon Oh, dictates. that's really interesting. But, yeah, I think for me, the, the, the other thing that, like, happened at the same time as this, but I found much more interesting, mm. was this move for the, they, they finally offered a, a masculine sounding voice. This is way, 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 way overdue. Yeah, it's so overdue. And I think it's, I think it's kind of telling that the, the thing was called Alexa. Mm-hmm. It's still called Alexa. Mm-hmm. We're, which we're is very, very sorry for setting off your speakers. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a rest. Yeah, apologies, guys. <laughs> Um, it's my name. I have to deal with this all the time, but, <laughs> but you know, it still has this female sounding voice yep. or female sounding name, mm-hmm. female sounding voice. Oh, and they use and, female pronouns when they talk about it at Amazon. Right. They, they all, they all talk about, she is, mm-hmm. is a great little voice assistant. And so now there's this masculine sounding one. And they also conveniently at the same time introduced a new wake word, mm-hmm. which is a little more masculine sounding. I don't know a lot of women named 
Ziggy. I know I know a, a cartoon named Ziggy, <laughs> a little bulbous sad man. Is yeah. all, uh, this a is man. another thing that you would know if you were old, by yeah. the way, Ziggy. <laughs> I like very vaguely see him in the back of my head, and he's gone now. Yeah, yeah, just but, gone. But yeah, so they, it, it finally yep. has happened, a new wake word. So new Amazon voice. is doing the thing where they refer to these, these um, voices as original and new. Mm-hmm. I, from the very beginning, I have to say, I, w- I was never happy with uh, gendering digital assistants. Same. And this was, th- this was just like, it's not just like standard gender assumptions need to be fixed in our society, which they do. It's also like you multiply that by they're not actual human things. Yeah, they're, they're computers. They have no gender. They, they, they have no agency. Yeah. They're not, <laughs> right? Um, and so, like, it always felt better to me. Uh, but the, the other thing with the voices is um, first Google did the better job of they just, like, gave them letters or colors or something, and then Apple did voice one and voice two. It's just weird that Amazon took this long to sort of get with the program. Yeah. Like, I think it's because maybe... They were, you know, they were really the first ones to to make the voice assistant mm-hmm. be a thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. Siri had come out before that. Google had had stuff doing it. But but Alexa was really where we finally, like, embraced the voice assistant, right? Yeah. And so much of that was because they gendered it, because they made it a, sound like a woman. They they made it sound like a person. Yeah. So that it felt more comfortable in your home to have a tiny lady living in a speaker. Right. And I think that was, they really struggled to kind of pull away from that. Right. Because it right. worked. Like, then everybody was like, oh, yeah, I don't mind having a tiny person in a speaker even right, though right, right. maybe we should. I have many in my home, so I can't say anything. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I definitely have a lot of things. I have so yeah. many. Mainly Siri, though. Yeah. But, you know, I think that there was always this, like, they were so clinging to that. And it was just kind of scared, maybe, yeah. to move away from it. Yeah. And, and now we get Siggy. Siggy, sure. Although we shouldn't do that. We should not associate the male-sounding voice with the male-sounding. I feel yep. like that's almost what they want. Yeah. The je- whoever the bad guys are. I don't know who they are in this case. <laughs> The other thing that got announced is uh, most Echo speakers are going to get upgraded to Matter. I'm still not used to referring to it as Matter. Matter is the um, Connected Home over IP Alliance, yes. uh, which was for a while called CHIP. I like to call it CHOIP because I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> this is the new way for um, smart home gadgets to just communicate directly with each other over IP like every other computer on the freaking planet does. It's more secure. It's easier to set up. There's a bunch of good reasons for it. It's basically the way that HomeKit worked. So anyway, Echo devices supporting Matter uh, for sure is like a good thing because it means that like we might have less of this hassle of when a new smart home standard comes out. Is anything going to support it? Who knows? I don't know. Amazon is willing to support most things and they're supporting this and you won't have to buy a new one and hooray. Yeah, that's it's just nice. I mean, they were always the ones who supported everything. So it was kind of weird that they weren't supporting matter well uh, god i'm gonna say it (laughs) matter is going to matter Uh, it's just a question is it going to be this holiday season or is it going to be next year i feel like next year yeah i feel like they got to ramp it up yeah but once it's ramped up i'm pretty sure that you could just like look for the matter logo and that's you're done you know it'll work with whatever digital assistant you have you know it will probably work locally you won't have to think about the radios too much the end that's all i want that's not gonna happen it'll be it'll still be terrible but that's my dream (laughs) 
I love it. I yeah. like this dream. It's a good aspiration for all of us. That is a very optimistic, hopeful note to end the Vergecast on. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you haven't listened to Decoder with uh, Neil Patel, his relatively recent episode was with the CEO of Blackstone Products, which is not a creepy investment firm. They make uh, griddles. Yeah. And uh, really I super nice want ones. a griddle one. Now. Yeah. I, I want one of these yeah. now. Uh, but uh, they run into exactly the same problems that every single tech CEO runs into when they are starting a new hardware company. Uh, it's really fascinating. Check that out. I uh, also want to point you to a story that Sean O'Kane wrote about Boosted. It's a post-mortem of how everything went down and why the company ended up dissolving. It's very sad. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, there's much more on TheVerge.com. I'm not going to point you to everything. You know how to type letters into a browser. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can tweet at us. I love it when you do, as, even when it makes me feel old. I'm at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell is Russell Brandom. Liz Lopato is Emma Lopato. And Joey Roulette is J.O. Roulette. Thanks so much for listening. And I get to say rock and roll this time. Hell yeah. Rock and roll.